What is up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast, powered by Dakota Lithium. On this episode, Aaron and I are going to be talking about how hunting pressure affects turkey behavior. There's a lot of times when we're on the turkey tour that we're hunting the beginning of the season, but with that being said, we ultimately always run into the situation where turkeys have been pressured, and because of that, their behaviors change, and therefore our tactics have to change. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about what those behavior changes are, and then ultimately how we adjust our tactics based off those changes. But before we get into the podcast, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. And if you want to save some additional money when you're on the Go Wild store, you can save 10% on orders with code THP. All you got to do to get started is visit DownloadGoWild.com or check the link in the description of this podcast. All right, guys, let's get Warb on the line and start talking pressured turkeys. I, I had a bad, uh, I had a weird just a weird night last night where I like, I, well, not a weird la- night last night only. I've been not sleeping because I'm not burning typical right. energy <laughs> and it kind of sucks. Like I keep finding myself just ma- looking at maps like well into the midnight hour and it's like <laughs> not good because <laughs> it's just, like I'm not tired and then I've also been reading. I've been reading some uh, Wenzel Brothers. Oh, Gene and Barry. Yeah, that's been pretty fun. Oh yeah, but they got good stuff. I want more. I want to find more hunting books. Like that's kind of been. I have a few that I haven't read that I still have on deck, but like that's gonna end soon. So I'm either looking at maps or reading. Wenzel Brothers at the moment, late into the night. <laughs> yep. It's a weird time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Especially for a person as active as you are. Yeah, and like, I can get out and walk now, which is nice, but it's still like not the same, you know. And I actually, yesterday, dude, went, I technically went hunting for the first time. And I basically walked like probably... 600 yards on a trail and heard some birds on private <laughs> well yeah hey you heard some birds i've officially heard a step one merriam's gobble before an eastern in the year which is a first of my entire life so sweet i don't know if i'm like happy about that or just kind of depressed about it to be honest yeah i hear you but well i got something that's kind of cool i'll show you real quick before we start yeah Bethany got me some, a bunch of my pictures framed. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Remember that one? Oh yeah. Never forget that one. And then the Alabama bird, the first one. Yeah. There's a bunch of them though. Like I got, I got all the, like 20 of them and I'm just going to put all over this wall back here. That's sweet. I really like that. I feel like my favorite thing that I have are like, I mean, we've talked about it for forever. It's like the pictures are the coolest part. Like, 
it, yeah, they are. They're by far the coolest part, I think. Yeah, you like keep the turkey fans and feathers and mounts or you know skull mounts and like while it is cool, the pictures like really bring you to the spot, and I just think that's yeah. You know, and it incorporates like who you're with and all that. Like I have one on my board that's like uh, the moment where there it is. It's like uh, you're putting the tag on the turkey in Wyoming that I guess what that have been two years ago already. Is that right? Yeah. That day we killed those two. Uh huh. And you're putting the tag yeah. on the turkey. Keith's sitting there filming you. Ted's messing with the camera. Hayden's taking a photo and it's just my legs sitting there like looking at the whole scene. It's just yeah. like right in the runway there. It's like, I love that, man. I love those scenes. Like there's another one there where it's like me it's one that Jake took, like me, Whitney, and Bruce sitting over the turkey that Bruce shot, like the last day of season last year, and it's just like, I don't know. Just tell so much more of a story. Yeah. Than, you know, just I got a whole strand of beards hanging up over there, or whatever. It's like, yeah. I don't I'm just remember. Getting lost in the shuffle. And like, but. you can't. You get to a point where you can't hardly remember some of them. You know, it's like I got a box of turkey fans. I remember a weird amount of them. Like pretty strange how many i remember but then there's like at a certain point like an eastern fan is an eastern fan and it's like i want to keep all of them but you run out of room yeah you ever seen what lake pickle does where he like layers them where like they're on top of each other have i think it's him that i've seen his pictures of it it's like it'll be like a fan but then another one's right over top of it and it kind of just oh, looks really? like yeah wallpaper just stacks them up like that that's like huh, that's a that's pretty cool idea but yeah but anyway do you want to just talk about pressure are we turkeys? recording i'm recording we're oh, right rolling on. shoot right on i got you yeah i mean i can talk about kind of what my experience has been here in the last couple of weeks yeah i want to hear I'm, about it because i don't i'm i'm kind of out on that and i also want to hear about uh your hunt with miles yesterday like in oh Oregon. yeah that was that was freaking awesome well i'll kind of work up to that i guess okay so i've been i've been filming myself a bunch for the last couple of weeks and basically april has whipped me i think i counted the other day um i filmed other people a few of those days and actually had way more success going with other people and either helping them get turkeys or film them shoot turkeys or whatever than i have had trying to get myself a bird because I think I've hunted like 14 or 15 times between Alabama and Missouri um, on public and have not killed one. I missed two in the same day in Missouri. <laughs> yeah, trying to film it myself. And it was just a rodeo out there. Um, I think at one time I was trying to keep count. I think at one time there last week or yeah, last week towards the end of the week, I counted up. I had... 18 or 19 different setups with gobbling birds within a hundred yards of me. And out of one of those setups, they committed and came in mm-hmm. out of, and I mean, everything's tried scratching, tried going quiet, tried never saying a peep, tried crawling up on them. And it, for whatever reason, like I got every excuse that you could ever imagine, <laughs> but it just didn't work. Yeah. Like I just failed over and over again. And I, the biggest, the biggest struggle was just trying to film it 
Mm-hmm. So like, man, I could have just set the tripod up and wide and crawled up there and shot them in a lot of situations because I could, I could always get to that point. You know, I mean, there's always like that 20 yard point where it's okay. I'm still safe. But if I start moving up here, it's game on. It's like either mm-hmm. shoot them or they're taking off. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't make that move when I'm with, them, you know, by myself. But yep. when you got somebody with you, you can go. Yep. You can get them, you know, pull a camera off the tripod or put it on a rig or whatever, and you can both crawl up there and sometimes make it happen. But it was super frustrating. It brought me back to my days of of bow hunting without a blind or bow hunting with a blind, for that matter, just bow hunting turkeys. It's yep. like that was why I quit doing it was because you could always get to that point where you were so close to them and then you couldn't do anything. Yep. It's like, I don't want to do that. I want to. <laughs> I mean, if, if they're not going to come in or if I can't uh, outmaneuver them in some way, I want to be able to sneak up there. Yep. And I couldn't do that. So it was, it got super frustrating for me, especially along like around day nine or 10 after this had happened over a dozen times. I'm like, man, if I could just put a GoPro on my head and go up there, I could probably kill these things, but it just made it, you know, um, it's so hard to do what like Shane and Dave and Catman and Greg do yep. uh, and get any sort of quality footage mm-hmm. by yourself. So like the guys that can do that consistently and get really good footage of the birds, kudos to them because yeah. that is super difficult, especially when you don't have, when you're not hunting with decoys. Mm-hmm. Like, man. But anyway, I, the, all of my, uh, you know, mistakes and mishaps aside the thing i was the thing that i really thought about was over the years we we talked about how important opening day is for turkeys Mm -hmm. how we kill them a lot of times in states on opening day or opening weekend or the first couple days and then we kill them late season and we have real good luck hunting late Mm -hmm. but the middle of the season the meat of the season we struggle oh yeah often you know, I mean, that happened to you guys in Ohio last year. Like, we killed a bird opening day, I think, Yep. when we were there. But then you said you guys didn't even hear a gobble for multiple well, days. how many days? Yeah, I, I remember yeah. it being at least three where it was just, like, nothing. Or, you know, maybe – I remember one morning hearing one gobble and then nothing else. And it's just, like, that's pretty classic story middle of the season, like you said. Well, I think – I don't know, man. I, I've heard some people say that – a turkey is a turkey, and I believe that to a certain extent, um, regardless if it's public or private. But if a turkey's been messed with, it's a it's a different turkey a lot of the time. Like after they have, and it doesn't take a lot. It's like after a couple of days of pressure and gravel popping on those roads where they're not used to trucks pulling in at 4 a.m., after a couple of days of that, they change their behavior. And you know, as we've gotten more involved with this turkey research and talking to these scientists that monitor turkeys in heavily pressured areas, they all, you know, echo the same thing. They're like, yeah, we can visibly see with GPS that these birds are, they're moving around, they're changing their behavior. They behave very predictably uh, and they gobble a lot up until season starts. And then once they encounter hunting pressure, they start to change their behavior or they die. Yeah. (laughs) Or they pay for it. Yeah. And that was the, that was the thing I was noticing here, you know, 
I think I went out with Zach Kurzieski opening morning. We called one in immediately. He swerved us hard and he I could have shot one, him, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have him on video and it bird ended up getting away. An hour and a half later, we killed another one and just sweet hunt. Mm -hmm. But then we knew after that day, like it's about to get tough. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, everywhere every turkey that i got on on public and granted i ain't complaining because i was on a lot of goblin birds mm -hmm. like there's still a good number of turkeys around in the put on the public that i was hunting in missouri mm -hmm. but it was just one thing after another was going wrong i mean in most of the times these turkeys were they wanted nothing to do with me they had an agenda of their own and they might have been goblin but a few a, a handful of times i called and then they shut up completely and never heard them again for like an hour mm -hmm. or more. Sometimes I called and they would continue to gobble and stand in the same spot. Sometimes I called and they would move away from me gobbling. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've, we've all experienced that a bunch of different times. Yeah. And one time I was actually calling in a bird and he was coming in. Like I could hear him drumming just out of sight. And I had all my cameras ready to go. And like, he's coming down this little lane, this old logging road. And I can't see him yet, but he's, like the last gobble, he's 40 yards. And I'm like getting ready to touch the safety off. And all of a sudden, dude, a fighter jet flies over me, like on the deck. You know how occasionally that'll happen when you're just sitting in the house and you'll just hear this yep. loud, whoo. Mm -hmm. Like what in the world? On the deck, dude. And like it almost blew my eardrums <laughs> out. It was so loud. And that turkey never gobbled again. I think it scared him much as it did me because Probably. he didn't say another word and he, or, and he must've slipped off in the woods or something, but I, I never heard him again. Point is though, is that they, they visibly alter their behavior and you have got to, you've got to be able to do the, the same thing mm -hmm. or you've got to be able to change your tactics in a way, in such a way that, you know, you can get on them again. They'll still, behave like turkeys and call up hens and they're still breeding and doing their thing. But it ain't like opening day when you can go out there and you can sit up a hundred yards from one in the roost and he comes right to you mm -hmm. and people start getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, rightfully so, but you know, you can still get in those areas that they like to strut in, that they like to frequent in. You can wait them out there. You can sneak up on them. You can scratch in the leaves and sometimes get them to come over and take a peek. The one of the birds that I missed, I actually got on them. They were hammering, gobbling their brains out like nine in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I called a few times. They wouldn't come in, which was no surprise. And I was sitting in a pile of scratching too. Like it was a good spot for turkeys to be. But I just sat there and I listened to them at a hundred yards for a while. I could occasionally catch glimpses of them popping strut and whatnot through the woods. And then I heard another hunter calling on the backside of them. Like he started out with a crow call and then they, and then I could hear turkey call as they were coming closer. And these turkeys were answering them occasionally. So like they're getting closer and closer and they got to that predictable point about a hundred yards away from those birds. And then they, they audibly set up because mm -hmm. I could hear them calling and then the calling stopped moving. And then the calling stayed in one spot. And they went from a box call to a friction call to a mouth call and the turkeys would answer here and there. But I'm like thinking in my head, like those suckers are going to go straight away from that sound. Mm -hmm. So I just bailed all the way around them. I went like 200 yards away from the turkeys in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And I got there and, and 
I was trying to get all of my crap set up. Like I was trying to get the camera set up with my tripod. I was trying to get my drape up. I was trying to get my GoPro and all that, you know, <laughs> and I just had too much going on. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden I, I thought I heard a Turkey walking in the leaves and I made a huge mistake because I wasn't totally convinced it was a Turkey. I was like, yeah, I think it's probably a squirrel, but I was like, I'm on an owl just in case. And I owl hooted. I tried to do it soft, just one note. And I was, it was them. It was those gobblers. And they didn't gobble because I was right on top of them. One of them started clucking Mm. and almost nervously Mm. because he just heard an owl from, you know, five feet off the ground, (laughs) you know, 40 yards from him. So I just sat down right there. I'm like, oh man, that's them for sure. And I didn't have, I was pointed the wrong direction from where they were at and everything was just in a jumble. So I had to end up getting the camera around and I eventually got them on video as they were going off the end of the ridge and they were both putting at this time. And I finally got him in the frame and then I went to my gun to shoot him in my last opening before they took off at like 40, 45 yards and I missed him. And I think because I, I rushed the shot. I was in the camera looking at the viewfinder and then I had to go straight to my gun and shoot. It's that's, you know, I should have, I mean, I still missed him. I shouldn't have missed him, but it's still, it's just just tough to like, regardless if you're dealing with a camera or not, when you're, when you're kind of in that mode of like, okay, I got to pick that last spot as he's darting away. That's how I feel like the majority of Turkey misses happen for everyone is like, Ah, I'm like, should I? And then it's like, boom, and you pull it too soon, and you know, you add the camera in there, and it's a whole nother aspect that, like, yeah, is gonna throw you off pretty much well, every you, time. <laughs> you hear so often of guys like not getting their head down on the gun far enough and shooting over them, and I, that's that's what happened in this case. Like, I went straight from the viewfinder, got on the gun, saw the bead, had it on the turkey, and shot. And I never really got my cheek bone down real good and you know if i'm just working that bird and not worried about that camera i'm buried in that thing mm-hmm. and ready to kill him not saying i would have killed him had it not been for the camera right but like i said i got a whole basket of excuses laying here for why i haven't killed one yet but i just fo- i find it interesting that that uh you know as we've talked more with these researchers and like I mentioned before, not to rehash it all, they just have the data now that shows that these birds change their behavior. Mm-hmm. And now we see it and and we have seen it for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Like on public, man, that bird that you killed in Georgia several years ago, I think of because that thing, we hunted that for eight, 10 days or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yep. it finally caught up to him. And that's, I hunted one turkey, I think four mornings. And it was just like pulling my hair out. I, I got close a couple of different times, but there was no way he was coming to a call. Mm-hmm. And I could not, he didn't care about me scratching in the leaves. I got real tight to him a couple of times. And that, I mean, who knows, his mood could change in a day. Mm-hmm. And he'd just come barreling right in there. But the four times I hunted him, he was roosting in different spots. He would come through and frequent some strutting areas. Mm-hmm. But it was so open and so difficult to get set up in there without him knowing it that it just was a real challenge. It was like, man, you know, I've got four days of intel on this bird and somebody's going to come in here this Saturday to hunt him that has none of this. They're going to come in from the access. They're going to hear him gobbling. They're going to set up 100 yards up the ridge from him. 
and start calling and think, Hey, we got us a hunt here. And yep. that thing has got other plans. Yeah. I mean, that's why that he's there still, you know, is because they just changed their behavior to survive essentially. Yeah. It's definitely apparent too. When you come across those areas, middle of the season where something is just different. Something's keeping people out of there, whether it's just, you know, a long way from a town or, you know, it's a big piece of land where you can, you know, really walk a long way and just kind of stumble across those things. And it's like, at a certain point, that's when, you know, you have that opening day feel again, where a bird's gobbling and he just comes, you know, right down the ridge towards you, just like the way you draw it up most of the time. But, you know, there's nothing worse than that time where you hear a bird gobbling a bunch or something, you feel super confident. And I was just talking to my dad about this last night. It's like, how many times do you hear that turkey? He's going nuts. And you're like, oh, this is going to work just like we draw it up, just like the opening day set up. You get 100, 150 yards from him, take all the time to get set up. You feel like you got a good hide. You hit him with a call and doesn't gobble. And you're like, okay, well, that's weird. And the next thing you know, you see him and he's kind of got that nervous, like, you know, I'm going to kind of get out of here type of look to him. And it's like, you could do that a different time of the season or to, you know, you could do it to 10 turkeys in a row and they come screaming in. But then all of a sudden you hit that one and he's just got that oddball, like, you know, I don't really know. I don't really trust that or whatever. And that's when, like you said, you just have to kind of approach it a little bit differently. And I think that's a, you know, hard adjustment to make sometimes, especially when you're like, you know, your last, you know, several hunts have all just been pretty straightforward, maybe for multiple years. And then all of a sudden you start running into that and it just gets frustrating for sure. Well, I got a hypothesis here I'll run by you. And I don't know, like I, this is just a guess. And I could be all wet on this, but I feel like at the beginning of the season, they're still trying to figure things out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like may, maybe they got their pecking order set or whatever, but all the hens have not been bred yet. They're, they're just starting out. Mm -hmm. So like they're trying to gobble to gather up harems of hens, Yep. you know, for breeding opportunities. But then they spend several weeks doing that. And they spend several weeks communicating with those individual hens that live in their area. And then those hens start to go to nest in these various spots, but they're coming back to the gobblers daily as they're going to nest. Mm -hmm. And, I wonder if that's how their strut zones are established in a way is like they'll get, I've noticed this too, even with pressure turkeys is they will couldn't, they may move around in their roost trees and stuff like that, but they'll frequent these little strutting areas mm -hmm. where they'll, you know, they'll gobble in the tree where they're safe. They'll fly down. They won't say nothing for two or 300 yards and they're making, they're just running to a spot mm -hmm. and then boom, they hit a spot on the point of a ridge and they pow, they start belting them out mm -hmm. and if and they just stand up there and turn back and forth and they do that for 30 minutes to an hour and then they they either call up a hen and shut up because they got her with them or they bail off that thing and they go down and through and they're back on a different one an hour later doing the same thing and it makes it incredibly hard for you to catch up to them unless you know what their plan is mm -hmm. you know because they're not coming off that spot i'm just wondering if as some of those hens start to because those nests are fixed yeah you know, yeah. or at least they are until they get busted out or, you know, until a predator gets them or they hatch. But in my mind, those nests are fixed for almost a month. Mm -hmm. So those hens are going to those spots. And if those, you know, if those toms 
know that that spot is close by where those hens are frequenting. Yeah. They know, and they, and they call hens up to that spot often, you know, and even that, I mean, even if it's the same hens that they know within their, their range, yeah. if they call hens up to that spot often, well then why would he go anywhere else? Right. Why would he go over here to this new hen that's in a weird location? Mm-hmm. So it's so like they're going, those hens are, are visiting those nests every day. And I'm just curious if that's what they're doing. If they're just bouncing through their range at these sort of high probability spots where they can call up these hens from, from different areas where they're nesting. And then come the end of the season, the opposite occurs when all those hens go down and they're paying no mind to the gobblers. Yeah. It's just like, then they start running track. Yeah. Yeah, They're like, we got to go. And if I hear one, I'm going right to her. Yeah, man. That's actually great. That's actually a great theory. And I'm, as you're saying this, the reason that I'm smiling so much is I'm thinking of all the times I'm like, gobbler with the hen nest close by that I just stumble across. It's like I can think right off the top of my head. It's like West Virginia last year, Ohio in 2018, like Ohio and, you know, whatever. It's like I go back in all these dates and times, middle of the season, where there was a turkey acting exactly like what we're talking about, where he'll fly down and he just straight line straight to that spot gets there and does not move and it doesn't matter what you say to him he's just not interested and i mean it happened it happened to us last year in west virginia i accidentally roosted a turkey kind of just stumbled up on this ridge and he gobbled at last light and it's like oh no brainer right like we're gonna slip right into the perfect spot we'll be right underneath of him punk flew down all the way down across the road and then landed, hit the ground, and went straight up a mountain. Long story short, we made a big circle around him, got set up in, you know, what seemed to be the picture-perfect spot. He's going nuts. We call, he gobbles, but he never moves. He ends up kind of skirting us after about an hour or so, and we tried to get closer. I was filming Ben, and Keith was kind of behind us filming as well. We just kept getting closer and closer, and it felt like, at some point, we were either going to, you know, make the crawl and get him, or he'd just come up and check us out. Well, he eventually just quit gobbling completely, moved, like you said, about 300 yards and got up on another high point, gobbled like a time or two. We moved up there and eventually just bumped him and he ran off. We got a visual on him running off. We go back down towards where we started that morning, down towards the road, and on the way, accidentally bump a hen off a nest. And Ben was like, well, no wonder he was here. And I, as you're saying what you're saying, it's like, yeah, well, no wonder he was there. He stood there and gobbled that whole time because, like you said, he knows that there's a hen hanging out there. Even if it's the one same hen every day, he knows if he goes right up there that there's a good chance he's going to call her in. And I think, Well, they're still breeding even while they're, you know, exactly. laying that clutch. I mean, yep. they only lay an egg a day, I think is right. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. And then they go right back to the gobbler mm-hmm. often, you know. So they got to, like I said, those positions are fixed. If those toms aren't aren't going back through there, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're going to have a harder time picking up those hens. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I could be all wet on that, like I said, but. I know one thing is for sure, those strutting areas that they pick, they're using those for a reason. Mm-hmm. And often once you get there, you realize like, oh, you know, he's on kind of a sharp open knob here where he can see 360 degrees around him. 
and oh wow that sound really travels good from this point all down through this thick little creek bottom right here below us where hens are likely to be mm -hmm. and oh he can also hear other turkeys gobbling from across the valley here on these other knobs and points mm -hmm. so he can hear if there's a hen over there and then drop down and end up over there on that next knob closest to her here in an hour or whatever mm -hmm. it's like a lot of stuff starts making sense and if you're in in the situations i was in last week if you weren't on that x before he got there you you could have crawled up there like i said if i would have just went with a gopro on my head i could have killed a lot of these turkeys i think or i would at least spook the hell out of them <laughs> but, i mean i could have crawled up there and got tight enough to him to do something but i was just constantly just right outside that bubble mm -hmm. and if you don't get on it with them they're not they're not coming off of it because they're used to her coming right up the ridge they're used to seeing her come right up that thing mm-hmm and I don't know. I mean, that it just I've we've struggled in the past in the middle of April a few different times for oh, yeah. that reason, especially when we're trying to film turkey hunts. Mm -hmm. And I remember years ago in Iowa, there was like a there was like a 12 day period where we on turkeys nonstop. But we just kept having that those same scenarios play out over and over and over again mm -hmm. over that period of time. And then like a light switch flipped about the beginning of May and we just started crushing them every yeah. day. It's, it's like we couldn't like, mess up. It's kind of reminds me of what you'll hear some, you know, whitetail bow hunters say that tail end of November, if it's still bow season, you start seeing those bigger, older bucks uh, really cruising a lot more. And I think that it's kind of the same theory in a way where, you know, the majority of the does by tail end of November, early December and even really into the middle of December, late December, like all of a sudden there's these final does that pop up and that's when those big bucks, they still have the, you know, experience, I guess, to know that that's the case. Same thing with a turkey. It's like all of a sudden most hens are on nests, like you mentioned. Now it's time to go, 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 try to find these last ones. Otherwise, you know, they're going to be pecking soon. So I, I would yeah, agree. but there's a there's a period of time in there. I don't know how long it is. I mean, it's a week or two, and then it starts to kind of trail off a little bit. But once the once the majority of them are locked in and they they've laid all their eggs and they're incubating those nests, those those birds start making really dumb mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so, it's like those are the in the same areas where they've been getting hunted for three weeks. They'll do, they'll start doing that. So what do you say? you would change if you start noticing that behavior? Are there certain things that you've been thinking about that like maybe you started doing or you would do differently now based off of some of those experiences that you had with that kind of pressured mid-season turkey? I would just, if I could go back and do a lot of stuff over, I would go, I would go back to those strutting areas with confidence to just set up. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you're kind of deer hunting them at that point, which I don't love doing with turkeys. But if you get into that spot before he does and you get a good setup mm -hmm. to where your head good and you're anticipating him showing up, even if you, even if he's 500 yards away goblin or heck, even if you haven't even heard him goblin yet, mm -hmm. say he's roosted a half a mile away, you're betting on him being there at eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock. So just getting in there and setting up and having full confidence in that spot for a couple hours. 
And I had a hard time doing that because the area where I was hunting, there was a lot of turkeys gobbling. So I was like, you know, one to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah. I didn't want to just mail in, you know, in Missouri, you can only hunt till one. Yeah. I didn't want to just mail in my whole morning on one bet. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I would have done that and just stuck to that plan, I would have had better opportunities at killing them. Yeah. While I was video. And otherwise, if I if I would have just been able to sneak on them and move to them, you know, more aggressively, like get in front of the birds and, and, you know, plop down just before they come over the rise or crawl up there to where I could get eyes on them and then go tree to tree until I could get a shot. I feel like that would have worked. But since I was trying to get them on video, I I feel like if I would have just trusted those strutting areas, Mm -hmm. especially after I saw them use them like a couple times in a row, I mean, there was one Turkey that, I mean, and it could have been different birds roosting in that spot, but they roosted in the same little bowl like three mornings in a row. And every time they would go a different direction off the roost, but they would wind up, I would cruise back by there at 9 a.m. on the backside of this mountain, Mm -hmm. this big hill anyway. And there's a little bitty bench on the backside of that thing. You know, they're roosted on one side and then they go up and over and then there's a bench on the backside. There's like a little saddle that they probably run through in between. But I'd go by and I'd hit that bench with a call mid-morning and twice they were right there. It's like they took different routes to get there, but they were going to that spot. Mm-hmm. And if I just would have trusted that and pushed in there and set up right there, who knows? I mean, I might have I might have had a chance at them. I'm not sure. It, That's worked for me in the past yeah. doing that. I've only done but, it a handful of times that it really come to mind right off the top of my head. But the one that really comes to mind, this is a field situation. It's a little bit different, but uh, it was the one that Grant and I got a couple of years ago in Pennsylvania where we were kind of struggling. We were dealing with a lot of the you know, pressured turkey antics, I guess, where they would gobble and they'd move a lot or they'd stay in the tree for forever. But there was this one rainy day where this turkey was out in the field and he's real visible. And our buddies that were the locals and even some of the people that we talked to called this turkey or the turkey that was in the field in the given year. Every year they referred to him as the unkillable turkey because he's not responsive to calls. He knows that you know, you can go out there and see the hen, and that's kind of the extent of his strategy to get them is, well, they're out there feeding. I'm going to go out there and strut. And it was pretty interesting because one time we did observe while we were sitting there watching one of the hens, somebody started calling. They'd come in behind us and started calling, and she perked her head up and dove out of there and went right off the field. And then as soon as, you know, Hunter stops calling and leaves, they kind of go back out there and do their thing. So we didn't plan to call to him at all, and it was it was brutal. I mean, we sat there. It was cool because we could see him the whole time, so it is different than, you know, like that bench you're talking about in the timber where you'd be waiting and, like you said, maybe not even hearing him. But in this situation, we just watched him strut all the way across that field. He bred a hen at one point, and then eventually they got in range of a shot, but that was one of those deals where it's like, this is probably our best option. It's not the most exciting and thrilling way to do it when you sit there for three hours all cramped up, wet and cold. But sometimes that's like the only thing you can do to really have, you know, solid odds, especially when you've got a consistent pattern like 
right. some of these examples. Yeah, when you've seen their behavior like that, don't keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Expect different results. It's not going to happen. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you sound mm -hmm. um, or how bad you sound, really. Mm -hmm. It's like if, if they hear a hen in a spot where she's not supposed to be yeah. or where, where they haven't been hearing her lately, mm -hmm. um, like they're, they're just not going to especially after they've been called in and shot at oh, a yeah. time or two, or after they've been blown off the roost a time or two, it's different. I've noticed that if you go to areas that are not pressured on public or even the farm up there mm -hmm. where me and miles were just at, it's like there's hunting pressure that, that goes on at the farm and our neighbors, mm -hmm. but it's very minimal and it's mm -hmm. spread out over the course of the season. So like we hunted there in youth season then didn't hunt there for two and a half weeks. Yep hunted again, then didn't hunt there until yesterday, which was another eight day gap. Yeah. And those turkeys acted a little funky, but nothing like public land birds that are getting it hit every day. Mm -hmm. They're, they're got, you know, they're hearing people turkey calling every day and gravel popping on the gravel road and such. So they've, they've got to constantly adapt and change their patterns. But you just mentioned that about them field birds. That made me think of Minnesota a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It's like, you would go up to those fields and you would always see turkeys in them. But if you touched a call on the edge of one of those fields, those birds would drop strut and they would literally run out of the field. Yeah. They were done. You put a decoy out there, forget it. If that decoy ain't moving, that ain't a turkey. They're bailing. Yeah. And I was talking to Shane about that because Shane's like, man, I always have better luck in the woods. I'm like, well, that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And we got in the woods with the same turkeys and started calling them in mm -hmm. and started killing them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was just a, the same birds were behaving differently in those situations, especially when you had to go up something steep and they were just on the side hill, a little bench or something that was hard to access. Mm -hmm. They're still doing their thing. They're just, they're, they're adapting their behavior to change where the most hunting pressure is occurring. Mm -hmm. But then when you got in them woods with them, where they had been comfortable for the last week or two, where they hadn't been getting messed with, they acted just like any other turkey, mm -hmm. you know, that hadn't been getting messed with. They come right to the bead then. Yeah. Um, but it, it just is, it's interesting to watch that, especially at the farm yesterday. It's like those turkeys did not act anything like the birds that I've been dealing with on public for the last week or two. Did you see that Grant shot a turkey yesterday? Did you see oh yeah, the picture? Osceola. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I started just cracking up. Oh god, that some was great. people took that way too seriously. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we were. Uh, I called him then because I had actually called him Friday midday and was like, "Hey, you know, if you're planning on going at all, let me know." Left him a voicemail. Punk didn't respond. So then I didn't know I could have been there filming that whole thing. But he told me, he's like, "Yeah, like." You know, the story is kind of lame, really. He's like, I had been driving around where he lives, and he's like, I just started noticing these turkeys on private land, so I spent a day door knocking and leaving letters, and he ends up kind of becoming buddies with this, you know, rancher, and yeah. the guy gave him permission. He said, the, the whole story is I had seen him out there. I went out there yesterday about 3 or 4 o'clock, sat down, made about six yelps, and here came seven strutters. <laughs> so i told him yeah. when i told him on the phone i was like you know man you say that's lame but it is cool to experience the difference between 
that turkey that's just being a total punk and you can't figure him out. And then you have that experience where nobody's hunting that property. He said, you know, that he said the landowner told him, you know, I don't think the guy that used to hunt here has hunted for five years or so. So yeah. it's like, yeah, that's a great, I mean, those turkeys maybe They're, have never seen a hunter, you know, yeah. so. They behave completely different. And those like, birds at the farm, like every time we've went, we've been able to get on them. Now we had to work to get on them in different situations, mm -hmm. but I've talked about that before. It's like, I've been hunting the farm my whole life. Mm -hmm. When we started hunting there, when I was a kid, we got our butts kicked for several years until we realized how the turkeys use the property. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you control your pressure to where you can, you can push them a little bit and then you can back off of them for a week and then go back in there again on a pretty morning. You basically pick the days that you hunt, and you know the areas where they want to frequent. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, your death on turkeys there. Mm -hmm. Like every time we've gone, um, we've just been right in their grill. But that's the ingredients is like you know how they like to use the property, and you've got an absence of pressure for a period of time. Um, it's just totally different. If you can, if you can consistently go to those areas that aren't getting where turkeys ain't getting pestered, you're going to have a totally different experience than you are hunting turkeys that are getting pressured consistently. It's a lot like what, you know, people that hunt smaller properties and are super successful for whitetails are doing too. It's like picking and choosing those days that, you know, you yep. assume the deer are going to be the most active based off of history in the area. It's the same concept just with turkeys. Like they're definitely going to, be affected by that pressure and it's not to say that like every single situation on public land is going to be you know totally uh, the same where every turkey's acting really weird but you're just gonna have to work harder and kind of at times just simply stumble upon that one turkey that is you know going to have that more classic call-in situation and I think that we talk about it all the time, but scratching is a really big part of like how I would say I've tended to adjust my calling strategy in a lot of those situations where it's like, you got that Turkey that, you know, he's doing that sitting in one spot, gobbling on his own a lot. And, uh, early in the season, a lot of success calling wise, that I've had comes from like really letting in cutting into them, you know, cutting a lot, yelping aggressive, make them gobble, 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 and then just kind of be patient. And a lot of times I'll come up curious. Well, as the season progresses, that generally changes to where if you do too much cutting, it can be similar to um, like what you mentioned about Minnesota, where they like kind of get like, eh, I don't know about all that. Like something's different there where an unpressured turkey from start to finish can act that way, but a pressured turkey, generally speaking, at least in our experiences, I feel like has a tendency to kind of shy away from that. And something that I've kind of noticed, and this is only from watching game film, like going back and watching the footage, especially times like a year after, something that I found weird, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, I'm, I'm real curious about this. You know how, you know, when you think of a traditional turkey doing what we refer to as hunters a lot as the shot gobble is a crow or a woodpecker or a hen yelping or whatever, they generally are just going to immediately snap one off to that. 
But I've sometimes noticed when those turkeys are really acting weird, and again, I, I started picking up on this by watching footage a year later sometimes, there's something different about the one that is going to act a little weird where he has a tendency, at least in some of the experiences I've had, where he's not gobbling to that. He may be gobbling a ton, but he's not shot gobbling to the woodpecker, to the crow, to the goose flying over. And that's been helpful in some situations once I started kind of taking note of that. It's like he's gobbling on his own time. Therefore, he's not like incredibly fired up per se he's just using that to cast that to hens and i don't know if that's something that you've ever noticed or experienced but there's been a few times where when i go back especially again watch that footage you're like you know a crow flew over and he didn't even gobble but then he gobbles 10 times to silence you know there's nothing that happens it's like that guy might be a weirdo you know and sometimes they're not strutting their their head color isn't like white and ready to go it's red their snoods up they're just walking around gobbling almost aimlessly sounding yep and those attract a lot of attention so if that bird's got that personality and he doesn't have hens very often, well, guess what? He's going to be the one that's getting pressured every single day. That's the turkey that, in my opinion, ends up sitting in the tree until 10 in the morning, just pow, pow, gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. But I even think sometimes you can tell by their demeanor and the way that they answer the call. Yes. Um, in the direction that they're gobbling, if they're talking to you, or if they're just gobbling to gobble. Mm -hmm. Like I had that happen on that bird that I got messed up by that plane that came over. Yep. He, when I got on him, I was like, he wasn't gobbling very much, but he was gobbling on his own. And I, I got back down in there and he didn't answer an owl. And just out of nowhere, he gobbled about a hundred yards from me. And I was like, that's kind of strange. So I just stood there and listened. And I could hear distant drumming in there. I'm like, okay, well, that's a good sign because he's obviously either, you know, he's in the mood to strut around a hen or try to attract a hen with drumming. Mm -hmm. um, and then a few minutes went by and I hit him with just a soft, like three, four note yelp. He crawled all over it. And then he didn't gobble again for a few minutes. And then I could still hear that drumming. It's like, well, he's posted up in a spot that he likes, but he ain't shying away from that call. Mm -hmm. Like, cause he didn't move at all. He just stood there in the same spot. So he might even have a hen with him, mm -hmm. you know, and by the time I got maneuvered and positioned around where I got super tight to him, he'd gobbled two or three more times over the course of an hour. And then I started calling at him and I started picking up the intensity just a little bit on my crystal call. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was hammering, but he was gobbling right at me. Yep. And every time he would gobble, he would gobble right at me and I would hear, I would hear him drum immediately after. I'm like, this old boy might play. This yep. guy's got a different attitude about him than the others that I've been chasing. Mm -hmm. And then he started coming before the jet messed us <laughs> up. You know, I think it just wigged him the heck out and, or either that, or he just fell off the side of the ridge with a hand or something. I'm not sure, but he was definitely coming and I shut it down. I shut the calling down on him after I got a little bit more aggressive and then he started gobbling on his own and gobbling right at me. Mm -hmm. You know how they'll do. I mean, it's almost, you really gotta be around a bunch of different turkeys and hear a bunch of different ones over a long period of time where you can almost tell, but I've been around a bunch of them turkeys that you're talking about that are screwball 
that are just gobbling aimlessly at for nothing. no reason at all and to nothing. And they're not strutting. They got that pale head and they're just, they'll drive you up a wall. Yep. But I, I think you can get away with some calling in some of those scenarios on pressure turkeys. If you're in the spot where they're going to, or they want to be, or they expect to hear a hen from, but I've even had them turn away from that. Me and Greg hunted a bird a few years ago that was doing all that gobbling aimlessly. Mm. And this was on private land that had got pressured a lot. So he was acting the same way as a public land pressured bird. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't, they don't know whether it's public or private. They just know whether it's hunting pressure or no hunting pressure. Yep. This Turkey would answer everything that I threw at him would never come in. And then Greg went back in there to hunt him again, a different day. And Greg didn't call very much. He just sat down in the spot where this turkey wanted to frequent. And eventually the turkey moved off, off the roost, goblin, goblin, goblin. And then a live hen came up to that spot and she was doing a very distinctive three note yelp. And it was almost like he knew her voice because she would yelp and he wouldn't immediately answer. Her. She would go. And it was just barely loud enough for him to hear it. And then two or three seconds would go by and and then you wouldn't hear nothing out of him for a minute or two. She would. And you could tell every time he was gobbling, he was getting closer and closer and closer. And he came right to where that hen was standing. Yeah. Right. And Greg blasted him at 25 yards, but it was really cool to see that whole thing play out. It's like, well, if you would have heard her and adjusted your calling strategy a little bit to sound like her, mm -hmm. you might have brought him in. Um, you might not have. I mean, you, you, there might not be any way to sound exactly right. like her. But the point was, is I had tried a mouth call. I had tried a friction call. Greg had tried a, a friction, whatever. Yeah. We were doing your typical five to eight note yelp and with some cutting every once in a while. And then we would try doing some real <laughs> soft stuff or whatever. He would gobble to it. He would he would gobble and gobble and gobble, but he would not come in until that live hen was standing there at that spot. And just the frequency that she was yelping was different than what we were doing. And I, I think that was what was going on. It's like he knew her voice. It was familiar. It was in a spot where he likes to gobble up hens. Mm -hmm. And it was what he had done before. You know, we were we were throwing a pattern in there that wasn't the same. That's yeah. But he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna fall for it. That's a good way to put it, though. It's a pattern that he's not used to. All of a sudden, we come in here as hunters, and we're like, we know exactly what to say. We're going to get them all fired up. And then we just, like, let loose, and all of a sudden, they're like, wait, that's not what I've been hearing in this area. And I guess maybe this is giving them too much credit, but it's like they spend all year together, you know. Yeah. They, they generally are in the same vicinity throughout the whole year. I'm sure they have – you know, times where they're apart, but similar to deer, it's like they kind of pick up on each other's patterns and therefore communication amongst them becomes recognizable to a certain degree. At least it seems to be the case because there's examples like what you just used where it kind of confirms that to a certain degree. It's like, well, obviously that's what worked for him and that's what brought him up in there. And it's like live decoy is about as sure of a thing as, as you can get. So I think well, they're still doing their thing. Yeah. I mean, 
they're still breeding hens and gobbling and strutting and doing all that. They're just going about it in a much different way than they were at the beginning of the year. And we get asked that sometimes, like, how do you adapt your tactics as the spring goes on? Like as the different phases of the spring kind of come and go. And I don't know, I have a hard time answering that at the beginning of the season, but now after being through the ringer yeah. for a few weeks now, it's all kind of coming back to me. It's like, well, this is all stuff. That's my thing is, man, I wish I could retain these mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's like I feel real confident about going after turkeys for the next four or five days because I've had my butt kicked yep. for the last two weeks. But over the course of a summer and uh, fall chasing deer and elk and whatever else, I forget a lot of this stuff. Yep. And then I come back around, I make the same dang mistakes again. In the spring, I'm like, well, of course he did that because he's been getting pestered. And you dealt with this before, but you just had to have – you just had to – had be handed some humble pie a little yeah. bit to remember what it's like but yeah and like you it's may, interesting you may have some runs where there's like i mentioned earlier there's a year or two or three or seven where things are going right or you know you you fill some tags and then you know you're only dealing with kind of that front end of the season or something but then all of a sudden you have a season or two where you're like whoa like that was a little different that kind of put it back in a perspective that not everyone likes Macaulay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that. Oh, but it, I mean, it just depends on what you, that's why it's nice to have a bunch of different calls mm -hmm. and it's nice to use different cadences and things like that. You mm -hmm. just don't know exactly what he's going to like. Yeah. Um, because you may be sounding them the closest to the hen that he knows in that area. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way I think about it now, but I mean, heck, we killed five birds in one day in Iowa a couple of years ago. And I think back to, like, I mean, we were all joking around about how easy the day was. But I also am like, you know, I'm a little cautious to throw that word out there because I hunted these same, this same area a few years back. Now, granted, it was through bow season in the middle of April. Mm -hmm. it was, and the turkeys were a little more henned up. But I remember, like, distinctly, like, me and Greg and the other – and the interns in the office – out of like four people, we hunted for two weeks and nobody killed a turkey. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it. And it, <laughs> it was like, holy cow, what is going on? Mm -hmm. It's like there is something. And we were making a lot of mistakes and things like that. You always do. Yeah. But um, that was what was wild is you can go exactly to your point. You can go for these long periods of time where you get your butt kicked. And then all of a sudden it breaks loose. And then you're, you're just boom, boom, boom. One after another, day after day after day. That's like we did in West Virginia a couple of years ago. We rolled in there, we killed three in one morning. You guys rolled in there the following year, and it was totally different. Mm -hmm. Totally different. Yep. It's it is. You just funny. never know. It is funny too. Like the one thing that I would say, I think, comes up in our conversations a lot, and just relating it to other things like elk hunting, for example. You hear Paul Elk Nut say, "Yeah." learn the language of the elk. And I think that as I've gotten more experience and as we've all gotten more experience, we start to feel confidence in some of these things that we've mentioned, like the frequency of the gobble, whether he's gobbling at you or gobbling at something else. And the thing that I feel is important is any chance you get to observe turkeys and what the communication between them actually means. Like, you know, in some situations, the, the hen is moving through the timber, yelping, cutting a lot. She's trying to bring 
turkeys to her. But there's a whole lot of time within a given season or just a day itself where they're not acting that way. They're communicating with different sounds. And I think that's something that we should all try to be students of at all times as much as we can. Like, how are they actually communicating? And how can we say the things that really are what they want to hear? Like the example you used with the turkey Greg killed that he would only come into that one hen doing the three-note yelp. When those examples, you know, come up, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, I could try to mimic that a little bit more. I need to be paying more attention to what the hens in the area are doing. And I think just trying to learn the language is something that we're never going to nail perfectly. Like, we're always going to keep getting better at it. But just trying to, you know, learn from mistakes and learn from different observations is you know, pretty. Oh, it's just one other tool that you can have. Like instead of your typical five, six note Yelp that you're running all your calls, it's like, maybe I can change up my cadence a little bit to maybe sound like a different hen. Maybe I can lengthen those Yelps out and space them out a little bit more. It's like, these are subtle changes that we as humans don't interpret as it being a big deal, yeah. but the turkeys in the way they communicate, it may be a huge deal for them. That's why I like going from a Jake Yelp to a hen Yelp sometimes. It's like if you're if you're hen yelping and he's hung up and then all of a sudden you hit him with a Jake Yelp, wow, and he crawls all over. It's like, well, maybe that's, you know, that's the type of communication that he needs to hear at this particular moment or a gobbler, or two note gobbler Yelp, whatever it is. Maybe he's looking um, for his, maybe he's looking for his buddy. You don't know exactly yeah. what's going on. You're just trying to figure out a way to fit in to a tiny part of his day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have very much struggled to do that recently. <laughs> well, up right. until yesterday, though. Yeah, I was gonna say, tell me yeah. that, tell me that story because I want to hear it in more detail. Okay, so definitely my favorite hunt of the year, um, one of my favorite hunts ever. When me and Miles go out, I don't take my main camera; I just take GoPros. Mm-hmm. And if I get some video, great. If not, whatever. And that's why it's really fun because. We're not worried about making a video. We're just worried about trying to have fun and get a turkey. And I really wanted him to get it. I really wanted him to get one because just like a week and a half ago, he had the red dot buried on one's head at like 25 yards. And if the bird just would have stood still for another couple seconds, we might've got him. It was really close. And he's like, I got it. I got it right on his head. I got it right on his head. I was like, you got a clear shot. Shoot. And then he moved. (laughs) And then the second one popped into the opening, but he never raised his head. They just, it was a tough situation because they came up on the ridge, looked, and then they bailed off the backside to go to their hens. Mm -hmm. But we've been close numerous times. Well, yesterday morning, we went up to the food plot behind the farm. And my cousin Chris built this little uh, blind out of some hickory logs because we've been cutting hickory back there in those woods to open up the canopy for sunlight, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, he built this little blind out of hickory logs facing right down the point of the food plot. Beautiful spot. Bunch of dusting and everything out in front of it. Turkey start gobbling just, you know, at our one o'clock right off the side there, 100 yards. It's like, man, they if they come up here, this is going to be prime. Well, they pitched down and they, instead of coming up through that food plot, they proceeded to swerve us on our hard right. And they didn't say nothing from the time they flew down until they got here at 15 yards drumming. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap, Miles, I just heard drumming. He's like, where? I'm like, to the right. And then pow, they gobbled right in my ear. And I turned and I just saw two redheads bobbing up them. And they're at my hard right. And Miles is sitting in between my legs, you know. So it was just, sorry, I got dogs barking. Um, <laughs> 
it was just uh, a bad situation for me to get on to get him on the turkey. Mm-hmm. So we let him ease off behind us. We could hear him walking in the leaves right behind the blind that Chris built, just right behind our tree. And then they went off in the timber and down onto a ridge where we've killed a bunch of turkeys in the past. Just a nice little open ridge, not very big. It's a half acre in size. And they went to gobbling again in that spot. So me and Miles went on the sneak and we got to crawling through buck brush that was like waist high. And you know how awkward and uncomfortable them situations are when you're trying to get on a turkey. I mean, there's nothing comfortable about it. I mean, you're just in a pretzel trying to get a shot through the brush on these things. Well, the problem was, is that I'm much taller than he is. So I could, I was always a head higher than him. Mm -hmm. And that just happens to be about the level of the buck brush that we're in. Mm -hmm. So he's just staring at brush and he can't see these things. And I can see them a bunch of the time. And we were both getting flustered because I wanted to get him a shot at him. They're like 40 yards away. And then finally we were both, we'd been on him for like an hour straight, just drumming nonstop, gobbling. They had a hand and they were just like 40 yards. And we were crawling up, crawling up and getting closer and closer. I, I was like, man, Miles, I don't know what we're going to have to do here because, you know, this is just a bad setup. We got so much thick stuff here. They're going to have to leave the ridge that they're on and they don't want to leave it because mm-hmm. it's a pretty ridge and they got a hen. And he's like, well, I got to pee. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, I was like, do you want me just to try to crawl up there and – if I get a shot at one, shoot it. And if I can get you a shot at one, give it to you. He's like, yeah, we got We got to make something happen. So we both just took off crawling at this thing. And I got up there to where I could see him strutting at like 25 yards through the brush. And he's, he's right here on my left hip and he can't see him. And then they started getting nervous. I'm like, they're getting nervous. They're getting nervous. So he starts standing up to look or easing up. And he's like, I can see him. I can see him now. And at this point, they're like 40 yards trotting. They're getting out. Uh So I just took the safety off and (laughs) plowed the back one. And then we both went ham and wild. I mean, we were both really stoked because we've been hunting the same two gobblers back there all fall. We've been on them. I mean, he had the safety off on them three different times before I finally shot the one. So we finally got one of them down. Um, yeah, and it was pretty sweet. I don't know what kind of footage I got on the GoPro. I was wearing one on my head the whole time, so I might have had something to make a video out of, but I haven't even looked at it. It was pretty cool to not even worry about that, to just go and hunt turkeys with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So Well, and I mean... We had a good time. It's fun to, like, have that build up too, because when he is the one that finally pulls the trigger, it's going to be that much sweeter. It's, like, similar to... You know, I think you've had had similar experiences growing up where it's like you're trying, trying, and finally you get one. And I was the same way. It's like multiple years even of trying, you know, weekend hunts here and there as a young kid. And then finally, you know, you pull through and, and get one. And then it's like that's and, – and Thrash talks about that a lot. It's like sometimes those failures are really what the hook is. So I feel like – yeah. While it can be frustrating when you're actually, you know, trying to get that first turkey until, like, I guess with those mistakes, sometimes that's what lights the fire. It's like, keeps you coming back. So, hopefully He's that's He's pretty the case. stoked about going. Aren't yeah. you, Miles? Yeah. Yeah. 
It he's seems like hunter, it. He's playing a Xbox Hunter game now that he got, <laughs> and he's hunting turkeys on it. So cool. He's pretty stoked. All right. Well, we'll wrap up here. I guess thanks for everybody for listening, and thanks Ward for taking the time and tell Miles good job and keep after him. I'll let him know. All Me right. and Ted are gonna go try to roost a turkey. Nice. Good luck. All right. See you, brother. See you.